something that happened this week as as we make a commitment to share our faith or to tell our story, to be a witness for Christ as we encounter some element of fear. And that's what we want to talk about today. How do we overcome the fear that we have? I mean, if you're like me, you just kick yourself and you just say, I know better. I know better. I know that the, the Lord is with me. I know that he's given me his spirit. I know that he's given me his story. Why am I so afraid to do this? We're going to talk about that this morning. So we're going to talk about phobia. Here's the definition of phobia. I think it's on the next slide here. Phobia is a persistent, abnormal, or illogical fear of a specific thing or situation. Now, if you look up phobias and find a, an index of phobias, there are hundreds and hundreds of phobias. We're going to talk about some really quickly here. Uh, the first one is ophidophobia. I'll speak to ophidophobia because I have ophidophobia. Ophidophobia is the fear of snakes. It's not like I enjoy being around them or even like to see a dead one. I just don't like snakes. It's not part of my life. I have many snake stories just because of that, I suppose. But I was in uh, Daytona Beach and I was taking three young men to a Promise Keepers conference in Tampa. So we're driving on the highway and here I am driving in my little car. I'm driving two bigger guys in the back and then I have a passenger here on my right side. The next thing I know, as we were driving, the whole car is going back and forth. I'm like, what is going on back there? I look in the rearview mirror. One guy is on the other guy's lap. I thought, they're just being foolish. And here are the words I heard. There is a snake back here. And then... The, the other words that you don't want to hear, never mind, it's coming up there. <laughs> then I see my passenger pull his feet up. He said, he's coming to you. Okay, at 65 miles an hour, there are two options when a snake is coming to your feet on the highway. So I just pulled over to the median. In the middle of the highway, four men jump out of a car. We're like, what are we going to do? Well, we found a way to pin that thing and get it out. Uh, my heart's racing just from telling that story. <laughs> so we met up with my dad in Tampa. He goes, where have y'all been? I said, dad, first of all, we handled snakes. <laughs> I think we spoke in tongues. <laughs> That's a fit of phobia. Number two is cacophobia. It would not be appropriate to look anyone in the eye this morning when I tell you what cacophobia is. Cacophobia is the fear of ugliness. It is not uh, necessarily your ugliness. It could be someone else's. But there is a fear of ugliness. Number three, aviophobia. Aviophobia, that seems to be kind of common. It's the fear of flying. And as long as there's dry ground between A and B, regardless of the distance, we're driving. That's the way aviophobia is. Number four, phylacrophobia. And I'm not even going to look over here at Ryan this morning. Phylacrophobia is the fear of going bald. Can you imagine? 
the fear of going bald. And it is sometimes debilitating. Number five, pantherophobia. And let me just give you a warning right now this morning. Men, if your mother-in-law is in the room this morning, do not look at her. The fear of mother-in-laws. Can you imagine? And I know number six is glossophobia. And this, this is a pretty big one. It's the fear of standing in front of people and talking. In fact, they say that there are some with glossophobia that would rather die than to stand in front of someone and talk. But that's a lot of big words, and some of you might be suffering from sescapedalophobia, which is the fear of long words. So we're going to move on and talk about the one that we need to talk about today, witnessophobia. Witnessophobia is something we've all encountered at some degree or another if we've ever been intentional about sharing our story with someone else. How do we overcome that fear of witnessing? That's what we want to talk about this morning. And listen, we're not saying how to eliminate fear, but how do we overcome the fear that we feel when we think about or plan for witnessing? Number one in your outline, understand that fear is normal. Fear is normal. When God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, There was no fear from one animal to another because there was no death. Mankind did not fear the animals, no matter how large they were, because there was no death. There was nothing to be afraid of. But after sin entered the world, death entered the world, and then fear became a normal part of our lives. There are a few names listed here that I just want to point to quickly. We have Abraham, who was the father of our faith. He was so afraid for his life that he lied, not once, but twice about his wife. Say you're my sister so that they won't kill me. We have Moses. Now, Moses is out in the desert, and and we have the burning bush, and God calls Moses to the burning bush. He takes his sandals off because it's holy ground. He's listening to God, and he goes through that whole ordeal of listening to God and his plan. And then when he hears that God is going to use him to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, then he became afraid. Uh, could, Could you get someone else to do this? Anybody else? The third one is Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now that jumps right into his fear, but in chapter 18, what we see happening is Elijah, the prophet, challenging the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal against Elijah. And they they built altars. And he said, you pray to your God and have him come down and consume the sacrifice. And then I'll pray to my God and he'll come down and and he'll consume the sacrifice. And they went through that whole thing. He made fun of them because their God wasn't answering. Maybe your God's in the bathroom or something. Maybe he's just not even listening. Maybe he's busy doing something else. But nothing happened because their God was dead. So he says, God... To show them that you were alive, that you were the one true living God. And God consumed 
And after that, they went into battle and Elijah defeated the 450 Baal prophets. The next day, Queen Jezebel hears and says, send a message to Elijah and tell him by this time tomorrow, he's dead. So what did Elijah do after experiencing the power of God? He ran in fear for his life. We see Peter. Peter is a, he's one of my heroes in New Testament, I think, because I'm so much like him. But even after saying, I'll go to the grave with you, I'll follow you, Jesus, to the end. That night when he was arrested, he was so afraid for his life, he denied Jesus three times. Denied knowing him three times. And then we have Paul. And we have this, uh, these passages that we can refer to. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. That might be the next slide. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3. Let's read that together. You all read out loud with me. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you. The apostle Paul had much trembling. He was so afraid. He was fearful inside. Well, look at this next passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Read this with me. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. You see, fear is normal. So if you're experiencing witnessophobia, you're not abnormal. You're not a bad Christian. You are normal. So you're just going to join the crowd with the rest of us. And we're going to learn how together that we can overcome the fear. Number two in your outline, ask friends to pray for you. Ask friends to pray for you. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 together here. Read this with me. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. When we look through the New Testament and we look at the life of Paul, not once in the New Testament do I see him appealing to his brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for him to find a girlfriend or to pray for him to receive a spouse or to make him well or to find a job. There was one time that he asked for them to pray that he would be released from prison. But it was not a selfish request. It was so that he could serve the Lord with them. But what we do see here is that he asked his friends to pray for him for what? 
boldness to witness. This is the Apostle Paul who had fear, who's overcoming his fear, and he's asking his friends to come along beside him and say, please help me, pray for me. I was encouraged on Wednesday night that one of our members scared to death to, to share the story, but asked the friends around him, would you pray for me that I would overcome this fear and share the love of God. See, what happens is we have two extremes. Two extremes in, in the church. And this is going to be a generalization. But we have one extreme, and this is not pointing at you directly. I'm just making an illustration here. One extreme is this. I don't even think of lost people. Not on my radar. I don't pray for lost people. Then we have the other extreme. The other extreme, pray for lost people all the time. Pray for them by name. I've got them in my notebook. But I never share the gospel with any of them. So you see the two extremes that we deal with most often in the church. We might have a concern, but we don't follow through with the concern. I shared with with some recently, it was with a high school, that uh, I ran track when I was in high school. And I, I was in the shuttle hurdle relay. So I had the baton. I also did some other relay races. But that is carrying the baton. I had a responsibility in my lane to go a certain distance carrying the baton. My responsibility followed the baton into the hand of the others. And as soon as the others secured the baton, my responsibility was done. I just cheer the next person on. I fear that sometimes when we pray for the lost, generally, that's what we're attempting to do. We're trying to give God the baton. I'm going to hold up my responsibility of praying for the lost, but I'm going to give you the baton. You do whatever you're supposed to do at this point. Without sharing what we already have experienced with that person. The goodness of God and how God has changed our lives. So if we're serious about sharing our faith with someone else, if we're really serious about them experiencing God and escaping hell, would we not first begin by sharing our story to tell them how good God has been to us? In fact, that's probably how we should begin. God, help me. Help me to love them. So much that I'd be willing to tell them no matter what. But then we ask our friends, would you pray with me? Give me the courage to speak to so-and-so. They've just been on my heart. And I want to share my story with them. Would you pray with me? Number three, expect to face opposition. I'm a little twisted in, in that I love to scare people. And when children left the house, I scare pets. And that's just what I like to do. I like to watch videos of people being startled, and I just laugh and laugh. But I have three children, and when my older children were small, I remember my son Matthew scaring my daughter Karis. And what I knew that was going to translate to was not a very good night of sleep for us. So I thought, well, I'll teach Matthew a lesson. So I got a rubber snake. I have a phytophobia, so I'm not using a real one. The rubber snake was enough. Got a rubber snake, and I tied my fishing line to the head of the snake. 
I threw the snake under his bed. I let out the line. I went into the bathroom and I waited, giggling all along. I could not wait for him to walk into his room and then I would reel and that snake would just jump out from under his bed and, and cause a mild heart attack. And it worked perfectly. I loved it. But think with me for a moment. What if Matthew was walking down the hallway and he saw dad's shoes, just the toes of his shoes, outside the door? And oddly would see a fishing pole hanging out of the bathroom and a line going down under his bed. You would think there would be a reasonable expectation that something is about to happen. But because he was expecting something to happen, he would not have been nearly as scared as before. Correct? That's why we have this verse right here that we're going to look at together. John fifteen twenty. So read this with me out loud. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, this is our warning. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, you can expect to have persecution. You should not be surprised when you're persecuted. Know that it's coming so you can prepare for it when it happens. You don't have to to turn there, but if you want to write down 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. What we discover is this. You will likely have more persecution by trying to live a godly life than you will from lovingly telling someone about the love of Jesus. That means, young people, if you're invited to a party that has alcohol and drugs going on and you know and you say, you know what, I'm not going to be part of that. You will probably receive some persecution. You will be teased. You will be ridiculed for not participating and adults, if, if someone's trying to draw you into some shady business practices and you make a stand and say, I will not take part in that, you'll probably be ridiculed for not taking part in that. It's most likely your experience of standing for God's word will receive more persecution than you would sharing your story. This is from Open Doors Worldwide. March 27th, 2023. Research for Open Doors 2023 World Watch List reveals 5,621 recorded cases of Christians killed for their faith. The actual number, however, is likely much higher. Nigeria accounted for 4,650 of those murders, which is 79%. Deborah was one of those Nigerians killed for her faith last year. In May 2022, the world watched in horror as a video of an enraged mob of her Muslim classmates beat Deborah and burned the body of this 21-year-old home economics major. She was accused of blasphemy against Islam 
when she posted this message. Jesus Christ is the greatest. He helped me pass my exams. For that message and other similar comments, she was murdered. If you are in Saudi Arabia and you are caught witnessing, you will be killed as well as the other person who is listening. It's serious, and there is persecution for, for witnessing in the world. But in this country today, as of right now, we don't have to worry about that kind of persecution. Is it conceivable that you could be murdered for sharing your testimony? Oh, yeah, it's conceivable. Is it likely to happen here? No. So we cannot allow that to be our fear. Number four, focus on your rewards. Throughout Scripture, God motivates people. We saw in the Old Testament that he motivates people through retribution, where he would say, unless you do this, here's what I'm going to do. There was some punishment if you didn't follow his way. But more often, we hear of his rewards. If you will follow me, you will receive the promised land. If you will do this, then you will receive that. And these are just the promises of God that we would cling to. If you follow Jesus, you will receive everlasting life. But we talk about these rewards. There are two kinds of rewards that we want to address this morning. There are eternal rewards and earthly rewards. Eternal rewards, this is specifically for followers of Jesus Christ, that when you take your last breath here and you find yourself standing before Jesus at the Bema seat of Christ, you're not standing there to be judged if you're saved or lost. You are saved and that's been secured on the cross already. But you are standing there to be judged for your rewards. That's what we're talking about here, the eternal nature of the rewards. If you'll look at 1 Corinthians 3.8 with me, read this out loud. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his own labor. First of all, we're not talking about peas and corn. Secondly, we're not talking about a, a wage that you would get in uh, your automatic deposit in your, your bank account. We're talking about souls, that, that we're talking about the, the wage, the, the eternal measure that God gives us because we have been obedient. So whether you're the first one to share, which, which is that first one that plants the seed, or you're the second one to share, which is the one who waters that seed, or the third one, or the fourth one, or the fifth one, we're all one in purpose, and that is that this person would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Your obedience pleases God, and He promises eternal rewards for following him. The second is the earthly reward. This is in Philemon verse 6. If you read this with me. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. The earthly reward. When we look at this, the more we share our faith, 
the more we will understand and behold God's glory here. The fear we sense is usually a selfish fear. Well, I'm afraid I'll get rejected. Well, I'm afraid they might hurt me. I'm afraid they might say something mean. Whatever it is, we have this fear. But when we look at this, that if I will just be obedient, God says I will know him more. If I will just be obedient, I will behold the glory of God, whether that's in my life or in the life of someone else. If I will just be obedient, knowing that God has promised rewards, both eternal and earthly, should be enough to motivate us to push past the fear that we have in witnessing. Number five, forsake the win-them mentality. The win-them mentality. Our culture is consumed with winning. Who was the national college champion this past year? Georgia. Does everyone agree? Who was 13th place? Who cares? We don't care who was 13th or 14th or 7th or 2nd. All that matters is who was number one. Who has the bragging rights for that year? We have to be careful that we don't take that mentality and place it into evangelism and witnessing. And we use terminology like, well, we're winning souls for Jesus. We're winning them to Jesus. Or we're just going to to, uh, win them with the gospel. And we have that terminology that we're uh, uh, applying to our witnessing. But look at this passage. Think through this with me. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. Read with me. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. This is the bottom line about witnessing. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it all pointed back to Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves. This is an important lesson for you and I to understand. You're not selling something. You're not convincing someone of anything. You're not even trying to get someone to join First Baptist Boaz. This is a kingdom mindset. This is the, the, by the authority of God, by all authority in heaven and on earth that has been given to him. He's given me the command to be his witness. And he's given me the Holy Spirit that I may be his witness. This is all it's about. I'm going to be faithful and obedient to what he said. Bill Fay said this. If you do it, speaking of witnessing, if you do it, you cannot fail. The failure is not doing it at all. We are simply told and commanded and equipped to share what God has done in our lives. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the the parable of the four soils. 
we have a farmer. He's out there casting seed. And it says that one, one area of that area that is a rocky area and it didn't take. So there was no fruit that came out of that. Then he started casting to the other place and there was shallow dirt and it was enough for the, the vegetation to spring forth, but it didn't produce much because it burned right up. And then there was this other one and he was casting there and they had weeds in it and the weeds grew up with the plants and it choked them out. But then there was one as he cast out to there, good soil, 30, 60, 100 fold in produce. When we read that, that parable, we do not read Jesus condemning the farmer for casting seed here or here or here. Because the responsibility of the farmer was to cast seed. The responsibility of the creator was to grow. It's the same with witnessing. We put so much pressure on ourselves because we think, well, if I share my story, I have to save them. No, you can't save them. And it's not your responsibility. Your responsibility and mine is to simply tell others of the goodness of God. Conversationally, this should be on the tip of our tongue right after the weather. How do you like the weather? What's well, going to get cool next week? Have I told you my story? Why not? Did you see the game last night? Yes, I was so stressed out. Have I told you my story? It's really that easy. It's conversational. Let me tell you how good God is. That game was not good, but let me tell you how good God is in my life. We can simply add it to our mindset. We're focused on how good he is to us, and therefore we can speak about it often as he has commanded us to do. So our responsibility is to share. God's responsibility is to save. Number six. Don't forget that you have good news. The gospel means good news. We were listening to the radio yesterday as we were driving. And Mercy Me has a song. And in that song it says, this is not good news. It's the best news ever. And that should be our mindset. You know what I have to say, though I'm so afraid to share it, I should share it because this is the best thing anyone could possibly hear. Let me read this passage. You can follow along if you wish. Luke 2, 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great, what? Fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you, what? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It seems for the shepherds, the very news that the Redeemer had come for them was enough to overcome their fear of what was happening in that place. Some of you have gone through batteries of tests and exams. There's something that happens in your heart after going through your, your tests and you get a phone call from the doctor's office asking you to come in to sit with the doctor. 
after. Most likely, it's not going to be good news. If you have the knocking of the door at 2 a.m. and you open the door and find a police officer there, it will not be good news. If ever you have two men from the military showing up on your doorstep, it's not good news. But when you and I witness, when we tell of how great God is in our life, it is the best news they could possibly hear that day. We've got something great to share. And again, we're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to get people to join. We just want them to understand that God loves them. And he loves them so much that he gave his son for them that they might be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we want the world to know. I don't know how that might look, but along sharing your story, they might say, wait a minute. That part in the middle of your story where you, you said that, that you, you were saved, tell me more about that. What does that mean? Are you ready to, to tell what that means? Well, let me tell you what it means. Despite your life, your rebellion against God, how you've cursed Him and shook your fist at Him, despite your life of ignoring Him, He loves you right now, today. And He loves you so much that He sent His Son to live here on this earth. And because He is holy and just, He has to punish sin. But He didn't want to punish you for it, so He punished His Son. He received the full penalty for sin. And they crucified Him. He was buried. And three days later, He was raised from the dead to prove that it's all true. And that very man is the one that, that extends an invitation to you to be reconciled to God. That if you would stop your life right now and you would turn to Him, change your mind about sin, change your mind about His holiness, if you will do that today, your life will be changed. That's the invitation. Do you want to know Jesus the same way I do? And that may not be an example this morning. That might be a personal invitation for you right now. I shared with you last week when I read my story about my mother-in-law who passed away from cancer. And unfortunately, we live in a time today that most everyone in the room, if not everyone, is touched by a terrible disease called cancer. Whether it's a family member, yourself, or someone that you know and love. But I want you to think with me for a moment. If while I'm speaking right now, let's suppose that God supernaturally came down and He spoke to you directly. There's no question that it was God. There's no question that He's speaking to you. And He says this, I'm giving you the cure for cancer. All cancer. I'm giving it to you. Lynette, I don't think you would stay here. You wouldn't wait for me to dismiss you. I think you would get up and go. Because you would want to go to your loved one and say, you don't have to suffer with this disease. You don't have to fall under the curse of, of this disease called cancer. 
In fact, I've got the cure. God has given it to me and you can live forevermore. And you see where I'm going with this. We were all born, 100% of us were born with a spiritual cancer. And without Jesus, we are headed to a demise that is an eternal hell that we looked at that Jesus said it's physically a real place. And that's where people will go for eternity if they are not saved by God. One hundred percent will die of the people we know, including you. But we have a cure. We have a cure for this spiritual cancer. It's called sin, but we have a cure for it. It's Jesus Christ. Why would we not tell others how they can be cured of this sin that is leading them to an eternal hell? Number seven, finally, remember it is an obedience issue. It's an obedience issue. I see some young people in here this morning. I'm going to give you permission. I'm going to ask a question in just a moment. You don't have to raise your hand. You can just shout it out when I get there. Jesus was walking down the street and he was loving people. He was healing people. He was speaking good news to people. And there was a great crowd around him and there was this wee little man. He couldn't see Jesus. He did everything he could. He was trying to look through the legs. He was trying to look over his shoulders. He couldn't see Jesus. But he found a sycamore tree. And he climbed up the sycamore tree. Young people, what was the name? We've got a lot of young people in this section right here. <laughs> it's Zacchaeus. We know an answer. It's Zacchaeus. <laughs> Jesus went over to that tree and said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your place. And we're told that he was saved. Religious leaders did not like this at all. And they were talking against Jesus. But look what Jesus said. This is Luke 19.10. Read this with me out loud. For the Son of Man came. That was his purpose. To seek and to save the lost. Right before he ascended, he looked at the disciples, those who were following him, and read what he said. This is the next verse, John twenty twenty one. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. There are so many verses we could pack into this point right here. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He turned to his disciples before he returned to heaven. He said, I'm sending you as God had sent me. There's a purpose that we're living here. Not, we, we can't really make anything else of it other than we have been left on this earth as a follower of Jesus Christ for one purpose, and that is to tell others how they can be followers of Jesus Christ. Remember on that first week we were talking about that? When we witness to other people, they hear about it. They become worshipers of God. And when we worship together authentically, we want to go out. We want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with 
other people, to tell them how great God is to us. And when we do that, what happens? More worshipers come. This is a kingdom mindset that keeps growing the kingdom of God just because we're telling others who he is and what they can expect from him. As witnesses, we've experienced it. We've walked through it. The bottom line is that witnessing is an obedience issue. I know we have military in here, and it's unique that the military works as it does because soldiers are put in difficult situations, but they still do what they're told to do. They're put in fearful situations, but they still do what they're told to do. They're put in situations where they do not understand why they're doing what they're doing or where they're going next, but they do what they're told to do. Because from the very beginning in any military segment, the the soldiers are trained and taught to follow orders. We have a king. His name is Jesus. And he has given us the order to witness, period. So this is not something we sit around and say, well, you know, I, I really don't, I don't feel like it today. It doesn't matter. We're told to witness. Well, I need to pray about it. Really? Are you going to ask God if you're supposed to witness? Can I tell you the answer now? He says, Yes. Be my witnesses. How far? To the end of the earth. Be my witnesses. Make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? We're witnesses to Him. And He does the mighty work. God said He would do it. And He's waiting for our obedience to do it through us. It's an invitation. Incredible. Every time you obey, you grow closer to Him. Every time we go out this week and share our faith because he said so, we grow closer to him. Now, don't get confused here because it's appropriate to pray that God would open up the heart of the person you're going to talk to. That's appropriate. It's appropriate for you to ask God to open up the door that you could share the gospel further than your story. It's okay to pray that way. But to pray whether you're supposed to witness... That's a non-issue because he said to do it. And we are to follow him. So last page. What do we do now? We look at this every week based on what we have just seen in God's word. What should you do today? But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So fill in this blank. Make the decision to defeat your fears. I'm going to show you a picture. I believe this is on the PowerPoint of James Jada. Is that on there? Maybe the next slide. James Jada. James Jada was a 10-year-old. He's playing outside his small village. And soldiers came. Being the first member of his family to notice the assailants, he yelled to his mother, Run! Run! As fast as you can! Unfortunately, the warning was too late and there was no escape. Let me read these words. 
swords were drawn, and James' mother became another victim of Sudan's National Islamic Front. His father and four brothers and sisters suffered the same fate. For some reason, 10-year-old James was kept alive. Later that evening, the soldiers ordered their young captive to gather wood for a fire. James thought the soldiers were preparing to cook their food, but he was mistaken. After the fire had been burning for some time, the Islamic soldiers asked James if he knew any member of the opposition army. He did not. Then they ordered him to convert to the Muslim faith. Listen to the words of this 10-year-old James Jada. That's not possible. I'm a Christian. Infuriated by his response, the soldiers picked him up and they, they threw his small body onto the burning flames. And although James Jada managed to escape, the scars remain today as a reminder of his faith. We talked about the persecution that's possible in different parts of the world. And we see someone like this, a 10-year-old who's standing up for his faith. And then we look at the fear that we are uh, addressing in sharing or being a witness to people around us. Isn't it time that we recognize that we as the Lord's church should do what he said to do when we live in the country that we live in? We don't have to be afraid like James. But even in the face of fear, he said, I can't do what you're asking. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he survived, but shows the scars for his testimony. Paul encouraged a fearful pastor in 1 Timothy. He said, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, listen, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We're told in God's word that at salvation, we're given the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit gives us the power to be the witnesses for him. We have no reason not to share other than we're uncomfortable or we're embarrassed. We're afraid of being rejected. But we already know if people rejected Jesus, we're going to be rejected too. Your success is not whether they come to Christ. Your success is that you did. That's all that God's asking of you and me. He is the power. He is the one who saves. Of all the things that has, that has happened in my life, becoming a child of the king is right there at the top. I was lost now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was wicked. Now I'm the righteousness of God. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was an enemy of God, but now I'm a child of God. What can top that for eternity? And I know we could probably go down the list and we can list down other things that are really important things in our life. The moment I married Julie, that's a big day in my life. When my children came, big days in my life. But something not too far from number two is this. 
When I take part in someone else coming to Christ, whatever that part may be, whether it's initially or being able to pray with them as they seek to follow Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, as you come down to the middle of that last page, knowing it is God's will and with God's help, starting right now, I will not let fear keep me from witnessing. And I'm going to sign my name right here. No more is fear going to be an excuse. And it's October 1st, 2023. So here's our challenge for this week. Pray every day. God I want my friends to know Jesus the way I do. Help me defeat the fear I feel when I think about talking to them about Jesus. And listen, share your story with two people this week. That does not mean go out and find two strangers. It does not mean to go out and find two lost people. If that happens to be, that's wonderful. This can be in your household. It could be with your mom and dad. It could be with your children. It could be with a coworker. It could be someone that you ride with. It could be on the bus. Wherever you are, make a commitment to share with two people. It might be that when you go to Sunday school this morning, you say, hey, can we just start off? Can I share my story before we get into this? It's okay. Share your story. Two times this week. I'm making the commitment. I pray that you would too.